We do not need to live in fear. We do not need to live in the fear of man or the fears that the people of this world struggle with. Psalm 56, 9 says, This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. Our God is great and he is mighty. Our God is so great and so mighty. His love is like no other love that you have ever known and will ever know. God's love is so great and mighty and awesome and compelling. God's love will compel you away from your former loves from your love of sin and your love of this world and your love of things that are opposed to God, God's love will compel you away. It's so enticing and it's so holy and it's so righteous and it's so set apart. And there is a clarity to God's love that will compel you to him. Let's open in prayer our wonderful God, close and abiding, close and personal, always close. Lord, please give your people eyes to see that we might see as you see, that we might hear as you hear, that we might desire as you desire. And that we might be lovers of truth. That our lips would only know to speak the truth. That our compelling desire in our heart would be for truth. That it would be in our mind, in our heart, on our lips, on our speech, in our hand as we write about truth. Because God, you are a God of truth and of light and of life and of love. Lord, may we also be people of love and in our love be people of commitment and people who honor their commitments, not just once, not just twice, not just at the beginning. Every single day, day in, day out, week in, week out, every single week of our lives. Give us steadfast hearts to honor your name and to honor the commitments in our life for the glory of your name. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. Folks, it is this time of year. It is the holidays approaching very quickly, and this is the week of 
American Thanksgiving. And what a wonderful holiday. It's not so much a commercial holiday. It's really about spending time, decisively spending time with people. It does not have to be your family. If you're blessed to have a family and you have the means and the ability to spend time with your family, then that is a wonderful blessing in and of itself. It's an opportunity to thank God for your family. And if you do not have family or you don't have the means or the opportunity to spend time with them, still thank them if you have them. If you don't have them, thank God for the people that you do have in your life. And this is a regular occurrence annually. But to me, it testifies to the means and the reason and the purpose that we should be thanking God daily for everything that he has given us. Our God is so good and so loving and so generous. We see evidences of his grace and his mercy all around us. Besides the created aspects of this world that Romans 1 testifies to his greatness. But his glory is so greatly displayed in humanity. The first section of Genesis and really up to here, we see again and again, God testifying to the images and the likenesses of God, which he placed within each one of us as humans. And even the humans who are not following God and are not testifying about Jesus Christ in their lives still give a plain and simple testimony to the created aspects of God in creation and the personality aspects of God in significant measure. We can look in the eyes of another human being and see an eternal soul which testifies to a good creator God, our good creator God. And in that, there is so much to be thankful for. Our God is a God of provision. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is our defender. He is our rock and our shield and our leader and the one who goes before us. He is our creator and our sustainer and our savior. He has done it all. God has done all the work. We simply receive his invitation to join him at the table to join him in his house, in his house. God has prepared a place for us. Now spiritually and after this life, physically, location, wherever that is in space and time, God is preparing a place. And Revelation testifies to how glorious and how wonderful that will be. So much to be thankful for. To God. And also, this week is an opportunity to remind us to thank those in our lives, those who perhaps shared Christ with you, those who are godly friends and family members in your life, to thank them as a testimony before God that they are a blessing in your life. God is so good and so loving and so patient. And so too, we see those aspects of our God with other people in our life. I know I've had many people in my life be very patient with me. And for that, I am very thankful. If you have your Bibles, please open with me today. We are in Genesis chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he journeyed to Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. 
Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. For those familiar with Genesis, there is another passage that is quite similar to this. And if you have your Bibles, join me, turn back to Genesis chapter 12. Starting at verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram, that was Abraham before God changed his name to Abraham, went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, that was her name before God changed it to Sarah, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Abram, Abraham, did not love Sarah, his wife, in these passages. Abraham was, a, was a, a, a man of faith, and he testified in so many ways of faith in God. And we are learning as we're reading here in Genesis that God came to Abraham. That God came to Abraham and he pulled him out 
from Ur of the Chaldeans said, I am calling you to myself and that I'm going to give you a new life. He gives him a new name and sets him on a new trajectory for his life. That Abraham would not need to find his own identity or find his own purpose or fulfillment as an individual man trying to make his name for himself in this world. God says, no, I'm calling you out. I'm putting you on a completely different path. You're going down a new channel with me. That your life on earth is now not found in yourself. It's found with me. Because life on earth is about me, God is saying. And yet Abraham still struggles. Perhaps, perhaps, give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps Abraham thought he was protecting her by protecting himself. But... The first responsibility of a husband is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. To protect her, to encourage her, to defeat her fears every single day. To testify about his love for her every single day and to give her hope that his love is in fact a mirror toward God. That her focus would be God himself. But lying about her and allowing another man or another people group to take her when Sarah was his wife is not protecting her. Marriage is a covenant. And therefore, Abraham had made a covenant with Sarah when they were married, and that is a good thing. He made a covenant before God when he married Sarah. And likewise, she made a covenant before God when she married Abraham. See, they were all participants in the covenant. It was one act of Abraham and Sarah coming together before God changed their names. You get it. But each one of them made covenant with God, with each other, before God, with each other. But it is unto God and unto his glory. And Abraham was to, before God, lead her well in faithfulness and in faithfulness to the Lord. But she also made a covenant, and she is to, before God, also choose and show commitment to her husband in faithfully honoring that union. Covenants are based on intense love and commitment. They're also fortified with a good jealousy. And you wonder, jealousy, isn't that a bad thing? Not when it has to do with a holy relationship. God is intensely jealous in his relationship with each one of us, with each one of his children. Let's go exactly one book forward in the Bible from Genesis 20 today to Exodus 20. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn there, starting in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God is jealous for his relationship with you. He is jealous for his relationship with his people. 
And when his people are jealous for their relationship with their God, they are faithful in their relationship with God because faithfulness means saying no a lot. Those who have a hard time saying no to things may wonder why. If you're a Christian, I ask you, isn't your most important relationship with Christ? If you say yes, then very good. And if you're also married, I ask you, isn't your next most important relationship with your spouse? And if you say yes, then very good. So let's look at this. On the spiritual side, it is your most important relationship with Christ, which dictates how you respond to everything else spiritually. If you're offered the chance to go to an Islamic worship service, your response to that will dictate if Christ is really most important to you or not. Because if you entertain Hinduism or Islam or practice pagan meditation or build habits from the New Age movement or follow the teachings of Scientology or start giving your heart to the pagan pursuit of self-actualization on the inward path to realizing all the good things in life are found inside of you, then you have not been faithful to God's commandments from Exodus 20. When you give your life to God, it is a commitment that, yes, it means that you're saying yes to God, but it also requires that you are saying no to all other gods, all other religions, all other feel-goodisms and self-help ideals that you can find your identity and you can find the, the best you that you want to put forth in this world. And see, there is a distinction, folks. There's a distinction between I want to change certain aspects or habits in my life that are not expressly sinful, or maybe they are sinful, and you want to change those unto the glory of God so that you can be more like Christ, so that you can exemplify more of Christ to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to your coworkers. There's a difference in that versus I want to read a bunch of self-help books so that I can go inward and find that all of the earth, all of the purpose of life, all of my meaning, all of my identity are really found inside of my own heart apart from God. Because that is a pagan practice. God is a jealous God. He does not share his throne. There is not Jesus and blank. God says, no, I am a jealous God. So if you're married, then with regard to your marriage, if you made a covenant and a firm commitment in that to your spouse, to be true to your spouse, and you did so before God, which I think a lot of married people did, they acknowledged God in that, they were Christians when they got married, then your covenant with your spouse means that, yes, you said and you are saying every day yes to your spouse because marriage is for life. And it also means that every single day you are also saying no to all other humans in this world for the marriage relationship in the areas of romance, physical, written, spoken affections, flirtation, cohabitation, your body, and for the depths of all your hopes, dreams, and intimate thoughts, feelings, and physicality, you're saying no to all others. Marriage is an incredible commitment, and everyone who is married or who is thinking about marriage ought to feel this heavy weight of that which marriage means and that which marriage is. Spiritually, emotionally, commitment-wise. All of these things. Marriage is not about the wedding day. It is. But equally so, it's echoed in each 
subsequent day thereafter. You're committing all these things to this one person and you are forsaking all others in that respect. That's pretty intense if you think about it. Those who have been married for a while probably have a keen idea of what I'm saying, but it really is still intense for you today, and it will be intense for you tomorrow. Marriage was created by God to be an imaging of God, of the relationship we have with God, and to point each other and others who are witness from our godly marriages to him. It's incredibly weighty. And it should, and it should cause within you this holy jealousy for your spouse. Because a holy jealousy, a godly jealousy, is a jealousy that God would be honored in your life above all others. And in terms of human-to-human relationships on earth, that your love for your spouse and your commitment to your spouse would be honored above all others in that respect, save still, of course, God is on the throne. Your spouse is below because no one compares to God. But we better have a fierce love and a fierce commitment. And I use the word fierce in a really godly, holy manner. This testifies to your passionate commitment to your spouse. And that means when you're walking with your spouse, when you're walking every day with your spouse, you're holding fast to your spouse. What does Genesis say? That you would leave your father and your mother and hold fast to your wife. That is an intense, passionate commitment even on the days when you don't feel like it. Feelings can be quite fleeting. God is calling us to make a lifetime commitment with another person. And if Abraham had thought of his marriage with Sarah in Genesis 12, Genesis 16, and from today's text in Genesis 20, as his covenant with God, that he would never leave his side, then he would never have left her side. And he would never have asked her to lie that they were just siblings. A sibling relationship is great, right? A sibling relationship is familial, of course. It's of the family, and it is familiar. It's common. There's a... An, a mutual shared experience of growing up with your siblings, or if you didn't grow up with them, then you still have that family tie in common. It really acts in a lot of respects like a really good friendship, or hopefully a good friendship if you're on speaking terms or you get along with them. But it's kind of like a friendship. Marriage, of course, has friendship attributes, but it is in contrast an intense relationship like no other on earth. And if you haven't thought about that in your marriage, look at God's word. Look at the level of the commitment, unlike any other commitment that you make to another person on earth. Consider this. Let's go back to today's text. God's pretty intense in his commitment and what, what he says in verse 3. Okay, so Abraham had said, She is my sister in verse 2, and Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And we can understand that to be his wife or one of his wives. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, God is so bold and so intentional. Listen to this. Behold, you're a dead man. That probably got his attention because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, 
He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. God starts with, it will cause your death if you don't do this. And God closes with that as a repetition to affirm what he is communicating to Abimelech. God is so consistent to his character here. He always is. But it's his intense love and his intense leadership. And every man can take an example for how they are to act from how God shows us in this text. God is all about truth. God is all about life. And honestly, God is showing about love and commitment and how a husband is to act for a wife. See, it was Abraham's responsibility to care for her, to lead her, to hold fast to his commitment, to stand firm in his commitment to her, with her, to be alongside her, shoulder to shoulder, a helper fit for him. Helper means side by side. Yes, Abraham and every husband is called to lead their wife, but in godliness and in love and in encouragement so that she would flourish under that kind of leadership. But the partnership, and that's what marriage is, is side by side. His responsibility was to be by her side. And it says in today's text, too, that he had asked her to always say, he is my brother. And that was failed leadership. In multiple accounts, multiple respects. But she did it. She also was not by his side. It's two ways, but honestly, the weight is on Abraham. And in all of this, God displays his leadership. God displays that he is the one in control, that he is the sovereign over all things, that he has full dominion, that there is no one like God. Abraham wondered and he feared, honestly, that the people of Gerar would have any fear of God. That they would act in a manner of respect toward him and toward Sarah, and that they would acknowledge their marriage and not kill him. We know how Genesis 20 starts, that this is an echo of Genesis 12, and it even testifies to Abraham says here, and we'll read it again in a, in a few minutes, a few verses ahead, that he did it out of fear that Abraham did it out of fear for his life. He feared his life more than he feared God in this. We also see God's intense compassion. He's compassionate on everyone in this story. First to Sarah. God intervenes by putting a dream in Abimelech's mind at night, by speaking the truth that Sarah is another man's wife, and he threatens Abimelech. And though Abraham did not love Sarah by defending her and her honor, God steps in to do just that before Abimelech pursues her physically. It says before he touched her. So we know that there was a holiness still in Abimelech's house. God has an intense compassion toward Abimelech. He, he's firm with him, but he has compassion on him. Abimelech speaks in response to God and says, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say? 
all these things. So in the innocence of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. God says, yes, I know. And it was I who kept you from sinning. And God threatens Abimelech with a consequence if he does not follow through. If he does not return her to her husband. To affirm to him, this may be a dream, but it is all very real. And the consequences are going to be very real. And to Abraham. God has this compassion on Abraham. He called Abraham to follow him, to live a life of faith, and therefore exemplify faith in God wherever he went. See, we are all called by God to be witnesses. We're not called by God to shrink back of our witness. We're not called by God to faith so that we are mute and do not speak the name of Jesus, that we do not speak about God's word and God's truths and God's love and God's compassion and a godly form of leadership. We are to exemplify a godly form of leadership to this world. Abraham was called by God to exemplify God. And our choices have direct consequences. Abraham's choice to do this same type of ruse back in chapter 12 meant that Pharaoh took Sarah to be his wife. And she was already Abraham's wife, but God had promised that Abraham and Sarah would have the child of the promise. And so here, over two decades later, God wants Abraham and Sarah to be faithful in their marriage and to wait on him for that child. God himself intervenes because he wants Abraham and Sarah to honor their marriage commitment and not to stray from their faithfulness. So even when it transpired here in this text that both of them made decisions to stray, God said, that is not going to happen. Out of God's compassion, he did not let Abimelech sleep with her. God wants our marriages to be holy. Abraham gives us a very blunt example of how a different sin can cause unholiness in your marriage. So what do I mean by that? Not specifically adultery. Adultery was about to happen before God intervened. Because Abraham feared for his own life. He feared for his life unto death more than he, than he had holy fear before God, more than he wanted to honor his commitment with Sarah before God. That's quite different than a man who says, I would rather die than anything happen to you, to his wife. God wants men to lead. God wants men to have fierce love for their wife. This is a good jealousy when it's for your wife. It's a good jealousy when you're saying no to other things for God's glory. God calls us out of this world and we have to say no to the world to glorify God. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah had turned their backs on God. They were chasing the things of this world, chasing them. And God wants people everywhere to give up the things of this world to glorify him. We are called to glorify him. Fear is a lack of trust. I would presume that many people of this world who have no faith in God have many issues with fear. A perfect love casts out fear. Those who put their mind and put their heart at the throne of God, 
who lay it at the feet of God and say, I'm putting all my hope and all my faith and all my trust in you so that I will not fear. And I'm not saying that my brothers and my sisters in the faith, some of you don't struggle with fear. We all struggle in different ways. But God says, come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Folks, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in God and in his kingdom, which will never end. The God who had the foresight to create you out of his desire for you. The one who wants to have a personal relationship with you more than anything else. The one who tells you his great love for you so that you would desire him more than anything else. That is a compelling love. That should embody all of your hope and all of your faith. Then when God has you firmly in the grasp of his hand, that nothing will snatch you out. God is holding you firm. You don't have to fear. What can mortal man do to me? You should fear him who can kill both the body and the soul. And he means have a holy fear, a, a holy respect for God. But do not fear man who can only kill the body but cannot kill the soul. You know, Abraham had many evidences of faith. I mentioned that before. In addition, God's intense personal words of commitment to him, but Abraham had a fatal fear of man. He was willing to sacrifice the faithful marriage bed with his wife for something which honestly he didn't even know to be true. He presupposed the future actions of the Egyptians in Genesis 12.10, and he presupposed the future actions of the people of Gerar in Genesis 20. Both times he chose to do it out of fear for his life. And even worded that in a way to Sarah to, to try to convince her in on it that it would be for her benefit that his life was spared instead of trusting God for it all. And both times Abraham did it because he did not think that people of those areas would have fear of God. Interesting. But we see in both accounts, Pharaoh in Genesis 12 and Abimelech in Genesis 20 did, yes, have fear of God because of how they responded to God's warning. Those who have a fear of God respond when God speaks. They respond affirmatively in the way that God is asking them to speak. God gave Pharaoh a warning, and Pharaoh responded affirmatively to God and spoke to Abraham. God gives a warning to Abimelech, and Abimelech responds affirmatively to God and speaks to Abraham. It was Pharaoh in Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, who is the one who honored God by responding to God. Now, I'm not saying Pharaoh was saved. I'm saying Abraham lied and dishonored Sarah, and she went along with it. So she lied as well. And Pharaoh is the one who spoke truth in verse 18 of chapter 12. And Pharaoh is the one who made things right by giving Sarah back to Abraham and instructing them to leave in peace. Abraham was concerned that the Egyptians were going to be violent, that they were going to kill him. Pharaoh seemed to be a peacemaker. Abraham's fear was unfounded. And in today's text, it was Abimelech who was the one who honored God by responding to God. Again, not saying Abimelech was saved. I'm saying Abraham lied and dishonored Sarah, and she went along with it, and she lied. And Abimelech is the one who spoke truth in chapter 20, verses 4 
5 and 16. Let's read these again. Verse 4, now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? That was true. Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? That was true. And she herself said, he is my brother. Obviously, we know that was true. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And that was true because God affirms it in the next verse. And then also in verse 16. As a sign of his innocence. To Sarah, Abimelech said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. This was a lot. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you were vindicated because he was innocent. And out of generosity, because he was warned by God, Abimelech, he wanted to show to everybody. See, he was testifying. God calls us to testify to God's glory, to godliness, to holiness, to righteousness, to God's word, to God's scripture, to God's love for this world. And who is testifying here? It's Abimelech. Abimelech, we don't even know he was saved. He is testifying from God's warning, her innocence, his innocence, that he didn't know she was another man's wife, that he would not have taken her if, she, if he knew she was another man's wife. He was acting honorably. Abraham feared what he did not know about the people of Gerar. And then Abimelech, the leader, and where he was weak, God was strong. God is the hero here. And also to be noted, Abimelech shows significant character in what he has to say to Abraham. This can also be read in the chapter 12 account about Pharaoh, but let's look at this again here. Starting in verse 8. So he has the warning from God. God tags that if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours, not just you, Abimelech, your entire family. What is Abimelech's response? See, so often, folks, tag real quick. We are measured by how we respond to what God has said. We are. We are measured by how we respond to what God has said. God gives us the commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. God says you shall not make an idol, anything in an image, and worship that. Nothing. I'm a jealous God. And God continues in the Ten Commandments, and God continues throughout Scripture about what God says. And we are measured in how we respond. This is how Abimelech responds. Did he wait? This was a dream at night. Did he linger? What did he do when God spoke? Abimelech rose early in the morning. This man was eager to do what the Lord had said. And he also testifies to his household. He called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. This is a holy fear of the one who holds all things in his hand. They feared God. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? He calls him out. He said, Hey, I'm innocent. Why did you lie to me? And how have I sinned against you? that you brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. See, Abimelech knew that if he had been told Sarah and Abraham were married, then what he would have done was sinful. He wasn't even told that, so he had acted in innocence on his account. Abraham had sinned, and Sarah had sinned. And Abimelech said, You've done to me these things that ought not to be done. What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought 
There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that's an interesting way of saying he left. I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. In other words, he asked her to lie. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. That's because he was warned by God and that this man is a prophet. And let's keep reading. To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone, you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. And also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. Interesting. The chapter closes with Abraham following Abimelech's leading, prompted by God in the dream, in responding to how Abimelech led. Who was the human who was acting in leadership in this passage? It was Abimelech. And Abraham is a prophet, as mentioned by God. And he responds to how Abimelech led. And he prays to God for healing for the people of Karar. In the last verse, For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. Who is she? Abraham's wife. God is reaffirming in scripture. Sarah is Abraham's wife. That what the Lord brings together, let man not separate. And that means not other men, and that means not the participants of the marriage. Let them not separate what the Lord has brought together. It is a weighty vow that you make in a marriage covenant before the Lord. Sarah is Abraham's wife. Abraham is Sarah's husband, and the two are to be together. Loving each other, honoring each other, encouraging each other in the Lord for the glory of God. You think that all of this happened perhaps in a 24-hour period, and it does talk about the night uh, the dream at night that Abimelech had and how he rose early in the morning and he responded. He called Abraham and he has this discourse, but it also almost seems like there was a little bit more time by the very first verses of the chapter to when this all transpired because of the last few verses. Then when Abraham prayed to God, God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Was anyone at the point of giving birth? Or perhaps was this over a few weeks time or a few months time? God is calling us to be faithful to him and faithful to our spouse. And for those who are single and seek marriage, for those who are single and God has for them marriage, also consider this great weight of what God is calling you to. That is not to dissuade anyone to marriage or about marriage. In fact, I think that gives to it a much greater weight and a very healthy and holy and good responsibility that this world just does not show in the way that they talk about marriage, the way they exemplify marriage, because 
They do not know how to do it apart from God. The Lord is the one who sets the example. The Lord is the one who comes to man and speaks to man and gives us his word. And he gives us our calling. And he gives us Genesis 2. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and glorify God in the way that he holds fast to his wife. And likewise, the same could be true for the wife of her husband. That she glorifies God by the way she holds fast to her husband. And if her husband asks her to lie, the woman out of obedience to God, because she must obey God even before her husband, if her husband's asking her to do something sinful, then she does not lie before God, even if her husband asks her to, because her greatest desire is to glorify God. What was Abraham's greatest desire in this text? It was not to glorify God. He was concerned about himself. He was concerned about what other people would think and how other people would act. And Have you ever heard about the fear of man? That some people are so concerned about what other people think, either about the way they look or the way they talk or the way they act or whether they're going to be, you know, discriminated against because they'll find out that you're a Christian, so therefore you fear that. And God is saying, oh, my child, I've got you right here. In the palm of my hand, and I'm not letting go. You have nothing to fear. Hold fast to me. Hold fast to your spouse. Because that is an echo of the relationship with me. I have created marriage. Marriage is for my glory, for your enjoyment, and so that you will know a little bit more illustrative of the way that I am. I think there's a beautiful testimony to be had by being in marriage. That you have this opportunity to show this other person God's love for them. Everyone is a missionary. We are all on mission and we are all testifying to something. And we are all called to testify as Christians about God's love to this world. And for those who are married, your primary mission field and hopefully your spouse is a believer, is to your spouse. You are to show them God's love day in and day out, week in and week out, year by year by year by year. And in that, may their love for God grow because you are showing them God's love. Let's pray. To the one who holds all things in your hands. To the one who holds your children in your hands. We have nothing to fear. You have put fear to death because you are God. You have put all fear to death when Jesus died on the cross and then rose three days later. Because when we give in to fear, then we're giving in to sin and we're not trusting in you. And when we give in to other sins, we are giving in to sin and we are not trusting in you. And God, when you speak, we want to act. When you speak to your children, we want to act in the affirmative of how you are asking us to respond because we want to love you, we want to love you more, we want to love you better, and we want to love our families because we love you and because you have shown us how to love them. Help us, God, 
that as you're holding fast to us, that we would hold fast to you. Because we know that you are the way and the truth and the life. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis chapter 21.